Welcome to Brain Levat. We are delighted to be rejoined by David Boonin, and we're going to be talking about privacy. David, would you like to start with a thought experiment? Yeah, thanks, and thanks for uh, having me back. So this is an example I'm borrowing from Jesper Weiberg, and um, some of the details might be a little bit different, but the, the basic idea is his. So uh, there's this old woman. Uh, she lives alone in a third-floor apartment uh, in a building that overlooks a large uh, pedestrian mall. Uh, this woman has pretty significant mobility issues, so she's not really able to get out of the apartment very much. Uh, she doesn't have many friends, hobbies. Uh, so she spends most of her days just sitting at the window uh, toward the front of the apartment and just looking out at the pedestrian mall, watching people come and go. Uh, and she does this because it just makes life uh, a little less boring for her than the uh, easily available alternatives. Uh, maybe she feels a little bit uh, less isolated. Okay. Uh, uh, Ryber gives her a name. I'm just going to refer to her as Mrs. A. Uh, so that's the case, okay? Uh, nothing particularly complicated. Uh, there's no trolley tracks. There's no mad scientist. Uh, it's just a kind of a lonely old woman who spends her days mostly looking outside to, to pass the time. Okay, so that's the case of Mrs. A. Um, now, I think most people are going to agree that Mrs. A isn't doing anything morally wrong by spending her time in this way. Um, so I'm just going to assume that here. It's not wrong for her to sit look out the window because uh, it makes her a little bit less bored. Um, on the assumption that she's not doing anything wrong, then I think it's pretty clear that she's not violating the right to privacy of the people that sort of walk by her window day to day. Uh, and the reason I say that is I think it's pretty clear that if she were violating their right to privacy, then she'd be doing something wrong you can't violate someone's rights just because it'll make you a little bit less bored. Uh, it seems like she's not doing anything wrong. If she's not doing anything wrong, then she's not violating uh, anyone's right to privacy. Okay. Uh, but then what Ryberg wanted to say uh, in the article where he introduced this example is with respect to the question of whether the right to privacy of the people walking around in public spaces is being violated, with respect to that particular question, there really isn't a relevant difference between the case of Mrs. A here uh, and then the case of mass public surveillance uh, that makes use of large networks of closed circuit uh, television cameras. So you think of a city like London, hundreds of thousands of these uh, CCTV cameras all over the place, they're pointing at public spaces like the pedestrian mall uh, in front of Mrs. A's uh, apartment. Uh, they're not broadcasting the signals, but they're sending them back, presumably to some kind of uh, monitoring station where people are able to monitor the feeds and see what's going on in these various uh, public spaces. Okay. Um, with respect to some other questions, uh, there may well be relevant differences between the case of Mrs. A and the case of CCTV-enabled uh, mass public surveillance. Uh, so differences that might be relevant to whether this is a good use of someone's time or a bad use or, wh or whatever, but specifically with respect to the question of whether the people who are being observed are having their right to privacy violated. Robert's basic idea was, look, um, what the two cases have in common is all that matters. Namely, in both cases, you've got a bunch of people walking around, you know, moving around in public spaces and someone's watching. Okay, so if the right to privacy is being violated in one case, then it's being violated in the other. Uh, if it's not being violated in one case, then it's not being violated in the other. And most relevantly for our purposes here, if we agree that Mrs. A is not violating people's right to privacy when she uh, looks out the window, uh, then we're forced to conclude that uh, mass public surveillance using CCTV cameras also doesn't violate people's right to privacy. Okay, so that gets you a nice, simple two-premise argument. Premise one says Mrs. A is not violating anyone's right to privacy. Premise two says, if she's not violating anyone's right to privacy, then neither is CCT-enabled mass public surveillance. Uh, if both those premises are true, the conclusion of all is pretty straightforwardly right that CCT-enabled uh, mass public surveillance is not violating anyone's right to privacy. Um, so I'll, I'll just say a little more than he had a better over to you. Uh, I do think the conclusion of the argument is, is pretty significant. I mean, it's important not to overstate it. So the conclusion of the argument is not that like all things considered mass public surveillance is a good idea. So there might still be reasons to think, no, this isn't a good idea. But uh, the conclusion is that again, it, it's not violating anyone's uh, right to privacy. Um, but I think that's still a pretty significant result because uh, 
CCTV mass public surveillance is a growing trend. It's quite controversial. And from what I've been able to see so far, at least, it does seem to me that the privacy objection is the most common objection uh, that people raise against it. And it also seems to be the most fundamental. So the other moral objections that I think people raise, they tend to focus on more contingent features of public surveillance. It's used to enforce unjust laws or it's used in a racially discriminatory manner or something like that. Um, it seems like at least in principle, you could fix those uh, features, but if it violates the right to privacy, then it seems like it's dead in the water. You can't really fix that. Uh, so the conclusion of Ryberg's argument, I think is, is quite significant in undermining this very common uh, objection to uh, mass public surveillance of this form. Um, and I guess, yeah. Uh, oh, and sorry, I guess I'll also just add, I think it also almost certainly has implications for other forms of surveillance, although at least for now I'm going to focus on the CCTV case. Um, but yeah, I think Weber has a good argument. Uh, it's an article. It's not like a book. And there was one follow-up article. He addresses some more objections. I don't think it's like a completely thorough defense in response to all the objections uh, that might get raised, but I think it's a good argument. And I've been thinking about it on and off uh, for the last couple of years. And uh, working up sort of a book chapter where I want to expand on his argument and uh, try to defend it. And uh, yeah, so I guess last thing I'll say is in my experience teaching it and talking to other people, essentially everybody seems to accept the first premise that you know, Mrs. A isn't really doing anything wrong, so she's not violating with right to privacy. Then the question really basically comes down to the second premise. Is there some relevant difference between the two cases? Uh, and again, relevant meaning relevant specifically with respect to the question of uh, whether the right to privacy being violated. And one of the things that I think is fun about teaching the Ryberg article is there's lots of differences that students can come up with uh, between the two cases. And then in each case, you try to think through, yeah, that's a difference, but does it matter? Does it matter specifically with respect to uh, whether someone's privacy rights are being violated? Um, and uh, yeah, so far, at least to this point, I'm leaning toward the view that, um, that no, there aren't any such differences. Yeah, I guess maybe I'll, I'll stop there. So David, there's some... Interesting uh, issues here that might be presented as re relevant differences. Um, the kind of analogy that I have in mind is suppose we, we take Mrs. A and we set up a whole network of Mrs. A's. So yeah. it's not just one Mrs. A, but we solicit uh, the whole block of grandmothers. Um, so there's a grandmother on every street corner and we employ them to sit at their bedroom window every day from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then we replace her with another one from 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. the next morning, and they all have to radio in their findings every day, um, and they perhaps even looking for certain types of people. Um, and then I think it wouldn't be so clear that the collection of Mrs. A's um, are not violating someone's right to privacy. And this sort of uh, highlights a, a greater point, which is that just because a single instance, a single token of a phenomenon is not problematic, it doesn't mean that when you duplicate or multiply uh, that instance into a much larger collective phenomenon, that the collective phenomenon isn't a problem. Just because the part isn't a problem doesn't mean the part of which it's a whole isn't a problem. So it does seem like there's a big difference there. Yeah, that's a great question, and um, I'm, I'm glad you asked because um, some of the objections and, and some of the differences uh, between the cases, uh, I think in Broberg's article, he, he does a more than adequate job of addressing. Um, but this is really one, actually, I think it's two uh, uh, differences uh, where I think his response is inadequate uh, and, and motivated me to think more about it. So, um, yeah, let me say a couple of things. So first, yeah, I, I wanted to make clear there's sort of two parts to it. So one is he pictures the critics saying, well, wait a minute, there's just one Mrs. A, but there's like hundreds of thousands of these uh, cameras. So that's just the numbers difference. And right, he says, uh, he's got a very brief response that I think in a way you've already successfully uh, challenged, uh, which is if, if one instance of a form of behavior doesn't violate rights, and I don't see why a whole bunch of them would. Um, and uh, yeah, I shared your response that like that by itself doesn't seem fully satisfying. And I think um, stalking is a fairly common example uh, where at least some versions plausibly are uh, an accumulation of individual acts, each of which by themselves are innocuous and permissible. But if you do enough of them uh, or in a short enough amount of time or whatever, uh, or a long enough amount of time. Uh, yeah, so, so that, that's right. Um, now, if the only objection has to do with the numbers, uh, then I think, then you can respond by just saying, 
yes, I suppose there's hundreds and thousands of uh, lonely grandmas, one on every block or one ten on every block or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and and then I'm inclined to think like that. That by itself doesn't uh, violate anyone's rights. Um, but yeah, the thing I want to zero in on, and then I'll, I'll try to say a little bit more uh, in terms of response, I really think it's the networking point. Uh, that's crucial there. Um, if it's just that there's thousands of people, like so uh, if you walk from one end of Manhattan to the other, probably the entire time, uh, lots of people will have eyes on you or whatever. Um, but it's basically at any given time, this person sees you for a couple seconds, then that person sees you for a couple seconds or whatever. But it's this networking sort of thing that makes it possible for a single individual. In the CCTV case, they're in the monitoring center, but in your version of the the case, um, maybe there's someone in Grandma HQ or whatever that they all radio into. And so I think, yeah, the potentially relevant difference is that um, the networking allows sort of the tracking of a single individual uh, throughout their public movements in a way that just having a large number uh, doesn't. So, so the first thing I want to do is just want to emphasize, I really think the relevant question here is the question about the tracking. I think that's the difference that arises from having a large network as opposed to just one or several, uh, this is A's. Okay, so having said that, yeah, then I think the way to think through the question of whether this difference is relevant specifically with respect to the right to privacy is to ask whether uh, someone's right to privacy is violated if they are tracked all day as they move about in public spaces. And um, in the manuscript I've been working on, uh, I have one example uh, that I use to try to test that question. And so I'll say something about it here and I could maybe mention one other. Uh, so the example is um, uh, a young woman who is planning to go on a long hike. Uh, so the Appalachian Trail uh, in the United States is uh, multiple hundreds of miles uh, public trail. Uh, she can't get any of her friends uh, to go with her. So she's gonna go by herself. Uh, but she worries that she's gonna be a little bit lonely each day just walking this trail all day by herself. Uh, and also maybe she'll feel a little bit less secure, like I might get lost on the trail or you know, whatever. Uh, so she makes this plan that every morning when she gets up, she'll start hiking. And as soon as she sees somebody walking in front of her, she'll slow down and match pace. And so she'll spend the day just watching and following that. Um, so that's an example of somebody uh, following a single individual all day through public spaces, rather than somebody being seen briefly by different people at different times of day. And, um, yeah, my reaction, uh, even in the case where she's just doing it because she thinks she'll be a little bit less bored or lonely, is, uh, yeah, she has the right to do that. The person in front of her uh, might wish uh, that she wasn't doing that. They might I, I enjoy the solitude of nature or whatever. It's a public trail. It's public property. She's got the right to be there. Um, and um, But if necessary, if we modify the case so that... Um, make it a little bit more like the CCTV case. It's not just that she thinks she'll be a little bit less bored, but she'll be a little bit more secure, uh, like a little bit less at risk of being attacked by an animal or something if there are other people close by or whatever. Uh, then if anything, I have a strong reaction. Yeah, it's totally fine uh, for her to do that. Um, but if we really thought she was violating the right to privacy of the hiker uh, that was walking in front of her, uh, then I think we'd have to say uh, that she's not allowed to do that because you can't violate someone's rights just because you'll be a little bit less bored or even just because you'll be a little more secure. If she thought she'd be a little more secure by stealing a bit of food each day from one of the other hikers, yeah, that might make her a bit more secure, but that would violate their rights and uh, so you're not allowed to do it. Uh, so that's the main example that I use uh, to think through that objection in the uh, in the manuscript I'm working on. Um, but I will also just briefly mention, I don't know if you have thoughts about this, um, but the case of private detectives is another example. Uh, uh, Mrs. A hires a private detective because she thinks somebody's up to no good or whatever, uh, the private detective is allowed to follow a, a given individual around all day as they're moving around in public spaces. And um, I don't really, maybe people think private detectives are sleazy or whatever, I don't know. But um, I think it's generally accepted that it's permissible for them to, to do what they're doing. So that's another kind of example. So I want to raise a challenge to the first premise, the one that you think is uncontroversial. Yeah, great. So, so the claim is Mrs. A is not doing anything wrong. Um, and she's not violating anyone's rights to privacy. I think those things can come apart. So you might think that there are thresholds before you reach a rights violation. You can imagine, let's say you've got a, a bowl of, um, of beans that you're eating, and you've got a thousand beans there, and I come and I grab one bean. Uh, it's hard to say your rights have been violated. I had one bean. It's de minimis. No one would prosecute me for theft. 
we'd say it's just one of those things that's completely, it's so small. But if me and a thousand of my friends come and take your bean, uh, now you have yeah. no beans left, right? So we might think that there is no rights violation with Mrs. A because what she does is de minimis, but wrong nonetheless. In the same way that when I took the one bean away from you without your consent, I wronged you, but we just round it down to zero. Um, and so once we string together the network of Mrs. A's, like they did in East Germany, by the way, so it's not a completely ludicrous case, um, the Stasi had one in six uh, civilians were members of the Stasi, and everyone veiled their neighbors. Um, and you had this mass surveillance network of grannies basically looking out on each other, and you'd think that's a horrible society to live in, and because you added all the beans up, um, everyone was really worse off. So I think once you have enough Mrs. A's, then you get to the rights violation. Um, but it doesn't mean that the Mrs. A on her own isn't doing anything wrong. Yeah, uh, good. Uh, I think there's at least two sort of separate parts to your question. So let me try to say a little bit about each of them. Um, yeah, I guess first, with respect to the Bean case, I guess I'm inclined to say uh, that um, you would be violating my rights even by taking one Bean. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't be like, I agree, it wouldn't be worth uh, prosecuting. Um, but I'll mention uh, a specific reason for thinking this, because I, I think it's relevant to them thinking through the the privacy case. Um, if I can prevent you, okay, so suppose you and I are sitting down at a restaurant or whatever, you've got your food, I got my food, um, and you reach over and you want to grab one of my beans without my consent. Um, if I can prevent you from taking that bean without inflicting any disproportionate harm on you, now obviously I can't cut your hand off or something, but if I could prevent you from taking the bean without inflicting significant harm on you, I have the right to do that. That's my bean. It's just not a very big deal. And I wouldn't be allowed to inflict uh, much harm on you to prevent you. If you're going to steal my entire meal, then I can probably inflict a bit more. Okay. So I, I, I think uh, the scale can affect the severity of the wrong. But yeah, I, I think in the bean case, at least that would still be wrong. So I, I think that's relevant to the privacy case insofar as, right, so... In the case where Mrs. A, to start with the cases, I initially picture what Ryberg has in mind. People are walking back and forth, left to right in front of her field of vision, and she only sees them for a few seconds at a time. Uh, and maybe that's taking one beam. Um, even there, if we really thought that these people, also, there's a lot of them. So if she's doing a little rights violation to like hundreds of people every day on, on this. If we thought that was the case, we'd still have the right to prevent her from doing it if we could do it without inflicting any you know, significant harm on her. And I, I deliberately set up the case of that she's just getting this slight benefit from looking out the window. Like she's a little bit less bored. And so if we really thought in that version of the story that, that it's like a minor rights violation to hundreds of people every day, and we could just block up her window and prevent her from doing that, and it wouldn't be a very big harm, uh, then I think what we ought to think is that we'd have the right to do that. And if we don't think we'd have the right to do that, which I don't think we do, uh, that, then we should say uh, that she does have the right. And then just, sorry, to finish off uh, the first part of the response, yes, uh, the case where um, the CCTV camera can like see people for longer periods of time, that's more, uh, there's a bench across the way from her window and sometimes people sit down and are there for hours at a time or whatever and, and she's watching them the whole time. Uh, and that, that's a longer uh, form of observation. Um, again, it, on, on the sort of bean model, then we ought to start thinking, okay, now we're allowed to cover up her window because it's like this bigger rights violation. Um, but again, I'm inclined to think, no, like she still has the right to look out the window. And even if someone sits there all day. Uh, and then, yeah, the other thing I'll say, I guess I'll just say this more briefly because I, I didn't really make a point about this at the outset. Uh, but the, the example with the Stasi reminded me. Uh, I, I am assuming for the sake of the example that the law, the, the, the cameras are being put there to try to reduce crime. Uh, and so the presence of the cameras deters some people from committing crimes in public spaces. Uh, the recordings that are often made can be used to help solve certain crimes, which then can also prevent uh, future crimes. Uh, and I'm assuming that the kinds of crimes that are, are being prosecuted are crimes that sort of uncontroversially people agree uh, should be uh, prosecuted, theft, assault, that sort of thing. Um, I think the thing with the Stasi example is, I mean, it's a little bit complicated. So presumably virtually everybody is going to have the reaction like, that. yeah, that's horrible what they're doing. Um, I might initially say, uh, yeah, that's because they're using all the information they gathered to enforce unjust laws, and, and that's what's going on. It's not that the right uh, to privacy is being violated. Um, I think that might be a little bit simple because part of what you said, I think, will still resonate with a lot of people that are like, I wouldn't want to live in a society 
where there were cameras everywhere, even if the laws were just laws and not not unjust laws. Um, so I, I think that there could still be something to that. Um, but then I at least, and I don't know if you want to push on this more, but um, at that point, I'm really going to be inclined to draw a pretty sharp distinction between the question, does this practice of mass public surveillance violate people's rights on the one hand, and on the other hand, does it create a society that's less desirable to live in on the other? And um, yeah, I'm certainly more than open to the thought that the answer to the latter question is, yeah, it does. Um, but to my mind, at least, um, I think that's more relevantly similar to you ask someone, would you rather live in a big city where when you walk around, you have anonymity or like a small town where everybody knows everyone? And some people really prefer the small town. They don't like the anonymity of the big city. But I hear a lot of people like, I wouldn't feel I had privacy in, in the small town uh, where um, uh, everyone knew everybody. Uh, and whenever you walk around in public, everyone knows who you are and sees what you're up to. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be open to the thought that if there are good reasons to think life in the small town is less desirable, then th those could translate into reasons for thinking mass public surveillance in, in a big town is less desirable. Uh, but if you don't think anyone's rights are being violated uh, in the small town version of, say, the Mrs. A case, uh, then I think that's what we should say about the CCTV. So two issues. The one is... I'm not sold on the case you gave for tracking surveillance being fine. So the case mm -hmm. of Mrs. A's granddaughter going on a hike um, yeah. and asking for the satellite to track her right through. You said she has the right to do that. Absolutely, she has the right to do that. But the question is, does she have the right if she's not alone? So if there's someone else on the hike. And you're saying that other person could complain that, um, that they wanted solitude and they don't want to be tracked. And you said, that's not such a big issue. It seems like it is a big issue if there are no other hikes available. So let's say that's the only hike in town. Um, okay. And in the mass surveillance case, you can't walk through an area of London that's not surveilled, right? There's no way to get to your job that's not through an area that's not surveilled. Let's just assume yeah. that. I have no idea if yeah. that's the case, but let's just assume that. On every yeah, I, I think it's pretty close to the case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, In I other guess... words, we want the person on the hike to be able to say, okay, I'm now informed that I'm being surveilled if I go with Mrs. A's granddaughter. So I'll choose to go on a different trip where Mrs. A's granddaughter, I'll go on a right. different hike where Mrs. Yeah. A's granddaughter no, I, is not there. And yeah, then it's yeah, fine, yeah. right? Then that's fine. But yeah. if you don't tell them, or if it's the only hike in town, yeah. or if Mrs. A's granddaughter goes on every hike, yeah. then there's a problem. Yeah. So uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, to some extent, my response is going to replicate some of what I said in response to Mark's last question, uh, I guess, in terms of what kind of problem is it? Is it a problem in terms of rights violations, or is it a problem in terms of this just isn't as desirable a society as, as we could have? Um, so I'm here in uh, Boulder, Colorado, uh, where there are lots of hiking trails available to me. Uh, I would say, unless I make a point of getting up at in my view, an unreasonably early uh, hour, uh, or I try doing uh, night hiking uh, after the sun has gone down, which I don't particularly enjoy doing. Um, uh, all the trails that I go on around here, there really aren't any trails that I can think of where I can say, oh, if I go on that hike, like nobody will see me on that hike. I, I can have genuine solitude. Like occasionally it works out that way, but it's, it's pretty rare. Um, so we have hundreds of miles of public hiking trails available to us here. Um, but I, again, I don't really think there are anywhere there's some particular reason to think if I go uh, in decent weather, you know, when the sun is out, that other people won't see me. Um, so I think that's a real life case of the sort that maybe you have in mind. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I would say is um, I do think that's a somewhat less desirable situation uh, than one where uh, there were fewer other hikers uh, in town, and so you could often uh, have solitude. Uh, you could even make the case for saying what the city ought to do is they ought to designate one or two of these trails uh, for reserved times and say this trail, this day, uh, for this hour, only this person who signed up can be on the trail. Maybe there'd be something more desirable about that. Um, but if the city decides not to do that, and allow anyone who wants to be hiking on any of the trails at any times, knowing full well that this means that no one's ever really gonna have true solitude on the trails, 
Um, yeah, I, I don't really think that violates anyone's right to privacy, even though I think I can be open to the thought that it might be a little bit less uh, desirable in, in certain respects. Um, yeah, I think that's the main response that I would have. But hold on, you've taken the easy route out. You've created again the multiple Mrs. A's without the networking effect on your hike. So there's all these hikers that you pass, but they're not yeah. networked. Yeah. They don't have a radio. They don't chat to each other. They don't say, okay, he's just past point A now. He's past right. point B now. Right. Imagine that was the case, right? That yeah. on every one of the hikes, yeah. that happens. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then wouldn't you then strongly oh, prefer to go on a hike where that doesn't happen? Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. So first I want to just explain why I didn't address that part of it in my initial response. Um, so the reason I didn't address it in my initial response is I took it, you were moving on to a distinct objection. So I took it, there's one objection, which is the networking objection, which itself arises from a further objection, which is the scale objection, I think. Uh, and then I thought you were suggesting, oh, but there's this whole other objection, which is the kind I of, see. um, don't people at least have a right to have some private public spaces or something like that? Okay. So, oh, no. so um, what I'm trying to get at is your response to the networking objection isn't convincing to me. Okay. And... Got it. Okay. Okay. So now that's clear. I guess what I want to say is, uh, first of all, uh, sorry, my screen keeps dimming out here. Uh, I think it's still useful analytically to treat this as a distinct objection. And so then in a sense, I've already responded to it as just its own objection. But then, yeah, often what's powerful to do is take two objections and, and combine them. So let's now combine the, all the trails uh, are such that you never can have full solitude. Let's combine that with the, somebody can track you the, the whole time. Okay, so then I think the way to do it, this is gonna make it a, a less directly real life case. Uh, although actually I can think of ways doing it. Okay. Uh, some, um, Bears or mountain lions have been spotted. This, this part's not hypothetical. Have been spotted uh, on the trails until recently, uh, and uh, people make a suggestion: when you're on a hike, uh, if you see someone in front of the, you, uh, try to keep them in your field of vision the entire hike, uh, because if an animal comes around, there'll be a little bit more safety in, in that way. Okay, so that's a case where uh, it's not just that no one is going to have, or at least reasonably expect to have, a solitude on the hike. But it's not going to be one of these cases where everyone who hikes briefly gets seen by one person or another. It's going to be like people are going to reasonably anticipate that if I go on a hike, someone behind me is going to be like following me the whole time, something like that. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, so, so, so that I think makes the case uh, more closely track the kind of concern you're raising. And then, yeah, I don't know what you or Mark or, or people that view this uh, recording uh, are going to think, but um, I'm inclined to have the same reaction. Okay, in a certain sense, maybe that makes it even a little bit less desirable. So now it's, I know if I go for a hike, it's not just that I won't have full solitude, but someone's probably going to be behind me like the whole time, like looking at how sweaty the back of my shirt is getting or, or whatever. Uh, but I get it. It's going to make people a little bit safer. And um, it's a public trail. I, yeah, I, I have the same reaction. Maybe it's a little bit less desirable in some respects. Although again, if it's making for things a little bit more safe, maybe overall it's a bit more desirable. Uh, but either way, I, I don't have the reaction that um, my rights are being violated. And to get back to something I said in response to Mark's question, I think th this case here is a particularly good one for going back to this thought that in cases where we really do think someone's rights are being violated, uh, we at least typically think among other things that we have the right to prevent the other person from doing the thing that they're doing, right? Uh, again, at least if you can prevent them without inflicting a whole bunch of disproportionate harm and so forth. Uh, and I think we also typically think if you violated someone's rights, you, you, know, you owe them compensation or something like this. Uh, but at least to me, when I picture something like this networked version of the, the trail system, um, I, I don't think we'd have a right to prevent the person who's walking behind from looking at the person uh, in front, uh, even if we could prevent it without inflicting much harm on them. Uh, I don't really think they owe like compensation to the person that they're looking at. And I guess I would say the same thing of the city as a whole, because we, we still need some kind of analog to the city that's making the decision to put the CCTV in place. The city sets up the trail system in such a way and encourages people to behave in this way because uh, it'll make things a little bit safer on the trails. Uh, I don't think the city itself would be violating anyone's rights, although I'd be open to the thought that maybe all things considered, uh, they shouldn't encourage that because maybe all things considered, there's more value to uh, people having the kind of solitude on the trails that now they're not going to be able to enjoy. So. Part of the reason for having mass surveillance in a society is to make your society safer, right? So 
you can walk through the streets of London anytime or day or night and feel some sense of there are people watching and my chances of getting mugged are lower. And if someone does mug me, at least there's footage of that person and they might get apprehended. Now, we've been talking about surveillance in public areas, but a lot of terrible things happen in private spaces. So the claim is that most forms of domestic violence um, aren't happening out in public. People aren't beating their wives at a restaurant. They're beating their wives in the privacy of their own homes uh, or abusing their kids or uttering uh, racial slurs. A lot of that's happening in private spaces. Now, yeah. it would have seemed impossible for the state to install cameras in everyone's houses. But uh, through the magic of cell phones and uh, Zoom cameras and laptop cameras and TV cameras, every house really is surveilled. Um, given that there's this interest in being able to combat the horrors of domestic violence, spousal abuse, racial slurs, would it be a bad thing if governments basically did a deal with all the tech companies and said, look, just secretly record everyone, uh, give us the footage, and then when a bad thing happens, we can intervene. We can save a woman's life. We can stop her from being killed by her husband. Uh, we can stop the children from picking up terrible racial slurs from their racist parents. Wouldn't that just be a much better society? Yeah, so let me say a couple things about that. Good. Uh, yeah, the first is I want to clarify. Yeah, um, I, I've been assuming for the purposes of the discussion that the purpose of the public surveillance is to help deter legitimate crimes. And I guess implicitly, although I didn't maybe explicitly say it, I guess I, I'm assuming that it works at least a little bit, right? If I want to make these analogies with like that the hiker will be at least a little bit safer, if they, right? Um, but I guess I, I, I should just say explicitly, it, it's not really clear that there's clear data that this is true and that it's cost effective and so forth. Uh, so I, I just want to flag that. But yes, let but let. Uh, I am assuming that. Um, but yeah, like in many cases, like the kinds of crimes uh, that it might deter or lower, they might seem to be relatively less significant, pickpocketing and graffiti and this kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So I, I definitely take the point that like if it works to deter crimes that occur in public, uh, why wouldn't it also work to deter crimes that occur in private, which might be more uh, serious crimes? Yeah. So then I want to distinguish between two questions. Uh, one is, like all things considered, would this be a good thing to do in, in the private case? And uh, does the argument in defense of mass public surveillance uh, commit one to saying, oh yeah, well, we should do the same thing in private? Okay, I think it would be a big problem for Ryberg's argument if it committed him to say that then we, we ought to do it in, in private. Um, but I think it's pretty clear it doesn't uh, commit him to that because um, pretty much everyone Sorry, bracketing off you, Mark, so with your being example, pretty much everyone seems to agree that it's fine for her to look out the window uh, at people coming and going in public. Uh, so you can use that as a starting point for the analogy with public surveillance. But you're not going to get people to just agree from the get-go that Mrs. A has the right to hack her neighbor's phone or this kind of thing. Um, so the main thing I want to say in response is the, the argument in defense of the claim that mass public surveillance doesn't violate the right to privacy uh, does not commit you, I, I don't think, in any way to saying that um, government surveillance of what's going on in private property. Uh, okay. Um, but then let, I'll have to go and say a little bit more. Yeah, I guess I'm inclined to think not only does it not commit you <laughs> to saying that wouldn't be a violation of the right to privacy, I'd say pretty straightforwardly, like it would be a violation of the right to privacy. And so I think in general, surveillance in private spaces violates people's right to privacy. And that largely what's going on here is precisely that the distinction between surveying private places and public places explains why there's a violation in the private space, but not in the public space. Um, but the last thing I'll say is, um, unless you're an absolutist about rights, uh, the claim that something violates someone's rights doesn't necessarily mean that there couldn't be benefits significant enough so that all things considered, it would still be the right thing to do. So there could be circumstances in which, uh, Surveillance in private homes would be a, vi a violation of the right to privacy, but if it prevented enough murders or whatever, uh, unless you're an absolutist about rights, you might get to the point where, yeah, that, that looks like it's um, all things considered permissible. But, um, but again, the basic point would be you would need a very strong <laughs> social benefit to justify, if at all, <laughs> surveying people in the privacy of their homes. If the Ryberg argument is correct, you don't need anything like that to justify mass public surveillance because Mrs. A is doing it just because she's bored. 
I have an interesting question. I hope it's an interesting question. Um, there's an interesting. Okay. So far, uh, you're doing problem. well. So let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So basically, it, it follows from your claim that it would be a problem if Mrs. A tapped your phone. Um, okay. So I want you to keep that in mind. That's your intuition. It's wrong for Mrs. A to tap your phone. But okay. now I'm going to reach that conclusion through the same form of argument that you've given, right? Okay. And just switch out the visual surveillance for audio surveillance. Mrs. A likes to sit by her window um, and she has eagle-eared hearing. Um, I know that's not a thing. I don't know if eagles have very good hearing, but yeah. she has superb hearing. Uh, her advanced age has not in any way reduced her capacity to hear. Um, yeah. She has just incredible um, ability to hear people's conversations as they walk by. Um, yeah. Is Mrs. A doing anything wrong by sitting by her window and listening to people's conversations? No, she's not. Everyone will agree she's not. not. Okay, good, then good, why yeah. can't we have mass surveillance of people's yeah. conversations? Yeah. And I think we think you shouldn't, right? But it's yeah. the same form of argument, just switching out the visual for the audio. It's interesting. It's the same form of argument, but you introduced a difference between the two cases. Uh, I didn't say that Mrs. A had anything other than just normal visual ability. So she sees what any ordinary person could see from her vantage point. Um, now, if what you said is uh, she's allowed to open her window uh, on her third floor apartment, and if anyone down there is talking loud enough uh, that she can hear them, then she's allowed to hear what they say, just as she's allowed to see uh, what's uh, visible. Uh, then I think we would have a more straightforwardly parallel set of cases. Uh, and then, yeah, so I would agree that the argument would commit us to saying that you would have the right to... Um, hear what is easily heard from a third story window or something like that in public. So if a cop is walking the beat, uh, if I can just digress for one second, a cop walking the beat is, in a is essentially a mobile human version of a fixed CCTV camera, right? Looking around what's going on in public. Um, if a cop is walking down the street and two people are talking very loudly, yeah, we're going to rob the bank at 5 p.m. or whatever, he's allowed to hear that. But on the other hand, if he's text, the guy's texting his um, collaborator or whatever, no, the cop doesn't have the right to hack the phone and, and see what's being said. I, I think that, that that's a pretty sharp uh, difference. So that would be my main reaction. Um, but I'll go ahead and mention one other point. Um, I am inclined to agree that it would be a problem if the argument for mass public visual surveillance generated a comparable uh, conclusion about mass public audio surveillance, I, I, I am inclined to think that. And so I think I, I want to push back mm. uh, in the way that I push back here. But I want to point out, because I think this is an interesting case. Um, um, here's a case where, uh, at least in the United States, it's quite widespread. I, I can't speak for too many other countries. Uh, so here's a case where there's a form of mass public surveillance that's taking place right now that does involve not just audio, but actually making recordings of the audio, okay? And this is a case where it's not just that almost everybody here thinks it's okay, but like lots of people think it's a really good idea, okay? And so what I'm referring to is body cams that are worn by police officers, okay? And um, there's a certain sort of difference in the sense that we want them wearing the body cams because we think that'll protect us from them, whereas the CCTV cameras we think are protecting us from other people or whatever. But the point is, if somebody says it would be wrong for agents of the state to be making recordings of noises that they can hear within their normal range or whatever, uh, police body cams are doing that all the time. And most people seem to think that that's fine. There's a little bit of me that wants to say, wait a minute, um, if I construe your question as like a reductio ad absurdum, if you endorse visual surveillance, then you also have to endorse audio surveillance, but clearly that's unacceptable. There's a part of me that wants to agree that it is unacceptable, and so I have to push back in, in the way I did uh, in, in the first part of my response. But there's a part of me that wants to say, wait a minute, like in the body cam case, that just seems okay. Uh, and so maybe I can just accept it. Um, again, not the form of audio surveillance that allows you to hear things that ordinary people can't hear uh, out in public, but the kind that would involve hearing and recording conversations that are going on um, within normal hearing distance of the observer, I guess I would say. So if I understand your objection to Jason, it's that once Mrs. A becomes superhuman, if she's wearing the hearing aid that lets her hear a block down the road, then you go, oh, okay, no, I got a problem. But... <laughs> So in other words, yeah. A is sitting on the park bench, 
and she looks across and there's someone on a cell phone and she can read over their shoulder what she's what the person's texting oh yeah okay that's fine oh she could hear people the couple chatting chatting next to her yeah that's fine but that's the superhumanness that you have a problem with and the problem of course is with mass surveillance that's superhuman what you have is the ability to see everything in full hd uh, to be able to look at everybody's phones to have audio that can listen to all conversations simultaneously because all we're doing is just taking mrs a and amplifying her we add enough mrs a's up and we can hear every single conversation we can look over everyone's shoulder it's all publicly available but then you want to freak out if we just had the superhuman mrs a who's able to put on her telescopic vision and look three miles down the block and see exactly what everyone's doing and not just passing it by, but recording it. Uh, she's got uh, a camera in the thing, in the uh, uh, yeah. hard attached to the thing. And we start to say, oh, yeah, this is quite an invasion. Um, and so, of course, that's the problem, is that the disanalogy really is that Mrs. A is picking up fragments that don't add up to anything. At the end of her adult days, she goes to sleep and forgets everything. But the, the life that you have of all the audio and all the visual in all public areas can last as long as the state likes. Um, the weird thing you texted your ex the state likes, right? it can be seen over your shoulder by the London camera, that can be, and it could come out uh, and end your career. Um, all those things start to look very distasteful. And we've just amplified it up from Mrs. A's ordinary human abilities, but because we can multiply, as you say, zero by as much as we like, because there's no rights violation, then we get all the stuff. Um, but if I get yeah. super Mrs. A, you're gonna object from the get-go. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. I think, uh, there, I think there are two different parts to your question, so I, I want to keep them separate. Uh, one is the recording part, uh, and so I, I think I'll try to come back to that about whether the making of the recording makes a difference. Um, but the other is the kind of super superhuman uh, degree of, of, of what you're able to see. Yeah, so I guess I think there are going to be some fuzzy borderline cases here, but I, I guess what I want to say is this. Uh, so there are some forms of surveillance that involve devices, uh, I forget whether this is microwave or infrared, I don't know, but so there are some devices that effectively allow you to look through walls, uh, or at least the see, see heat signature, so you can figure out roughly what's you know behind a wall. Uh, I think there's technology that allows people to essentially see objects that are concealed underneath uh, clothing, okay? Um, so if we said, but the Rodberg style argument would justify those sorts of surveillance, because after all, if Mrs. A had the ability to see through walls or to see what was under people's clothing, uh, she'd have the right to do that. Uh, then I would say, no, no, we, we don't think she would have the right to do that. Um, so I, I think if, in the case of those sorts of technologies, uh, the argument doesn't have that implication. Um, now, uh, the kind of case that you were referring to, I take it, is at least somewhat less extreme than those, but I think it really would depend on the details. Um, if I'm walking around in public and I'm holding my phone in such a way that no human with ordinary visual ability would be able to see what I'm texting, uh, and maybe I even make a point of looking around to see if anyone's standing that close, um, then I don't think the argument commits me uh, or would commit Ryberg to saying that it would be okay for the um, cameras to have super telescopic vision and, and, and zoom in and so forth, uh, because it wouldn't be you couldn't just start with the assumption that it would be okay uh, for Mrs. Mrs. A to do that. Now I will confess I, I don't feel like I have an ironclad story to give about where you draw that line. But again, I think for my purposes that's fine. Like the argument structure says, start with a case where pretty much everyone would agree, yeah, Mrs. A is allowed to look at that, okay? And then say, if the only difference is the number of cameras, the networking and so forth, but if they're not seeing anything that Mrs. A can't see, then they should be allowed to see it too, okay? And then yes, there'll be some cases where it's not totally clear uh, what to say. So there might be some instances of mass public surveillance that are, are rights violating because they go beyond uh, that sort of thing. Okay, so that's one part of the response. Um, and then the recording part, yeah, I guess I, I, I want to get back to that because uh, that's sort of focused on it here. So I think a lot of people do have this reaction that a very big difference between the original Mrs. A case and the CCTV case is that, um, not in all cases, but in many cases, the CCTV is making recordings and Mrs. A is not. Um, 
Yeah. And so I guess um, I'm inclined, I'll have to admit, I've always had a bit of trouble with seeing exactly how that difference is supposed to make a difference. Um, I find it relatively clear how if you're seeing something, you shouldn't have the right to see making a recording of it and sharing the recording could amplify the wrongness of what you're doing. Um, but if you're seeing something that you do have the right to see, it's been less clear to me why we should think uh, that you shouldn't have the right uh, to record unless there's some explicit contractual agreement or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'll just mention a couple of cases that I've been working on in the manuscript, uh, just push back against the thought that the recording makes a difference. Uh, so one I've already mentioned, which is the police body cam. So the police body cams are essentially tiny little portable CCTV cameras that are always pointed at public spaces when the cops are moving around the day in public spaces, and they do make recordings. And uh, lots of people think, good, <laughs> right? If that's what it takes to help uh, reduce uh, certain forms of uh, criminal behavior, uh, and not entirely by the cops, like it also makes the other people safer from, from others when they're in view. Okay, uh, so that's one example. Uh, I don't know how popular these are uh, in, in South Africa, but in the US, these little, uh, often they're like on the doorbell or next to the doorbell, little home security cameras that are partly focusing on private property like the porch, but often depending on where you live, it's pointing out into the street uh, and the sidewalk, which are public spaces. And in many cases, that's by design. Uh, so if you live someplace where you don't have a driveway and you have to park your car in front of the street and there have been car thefts in the neighborhood, that might be part of your motivation for putting this little uh, camera by your doorbell. Uh, and those also make recordings and they record people when they walk back and forth uh, on the sidewalk. Um, and as far as I can tell, pretty much everyone, at least in this country, uh, seems to think that's fine. A lot of these get sold. Um, and I'll mention one other example. It's a little bit like the, um, the hiking case in a way, but um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with GoPro. That, that's a brand name. I'm not quite sure what you call the type of thing it is, but um, Boulder is also a pretty big bicycling city. And so a GoPro is like a tiny little CTV, CCTV camera that you put on top of your helmet. Uh, and then as you ride, I'm, I'm sure you've seen like YouTube videos, extreme athletes put one on and then they record what they're doing or whatever. Um, but in a town like Boulder, where there's uh, a fair amount of uh, potential and sometimes actual animosity between bicyclists and drivers, uh, sometimes the bicyclists, when they're biking on the roads, I think part of the motivation in having the little camera on their helmet is like, if a car is getting close, it's, hey, I'm recording. <laughs> so if you cut me off, I'm going to have evidence of who it was uh, that cut me off. Uh, and uh, GoPros are an, another case of making recordings as people are moving around in public spaces. and um, I don't think that if they have the right to be looking at the people that they're passing and so forth, then I think they have the right to be uh, making the recordings. That by itself doesn't address the networking question that's come up earlier. But again, to some extent, I think I try to take them one at a time. What are the differences? What are ways that they can see them? And then, yeah, at some point, you do need to sit back and try to like, put them all together. Something that's maybe missing from the discussion is the issue of intentionality. So the, <clears throat> the way you set up the case is that Mrs. A is a sweet old lady who has a boring yeah. life and uh, yeah. she just wants a bit of entertainment. So she likes to look out her bedroom window. Yeah. Um, but suppose it's still Mrs. A, um, but her intention is not for entertainment to look out the bedroom window. Instead, it's to watch the neighbors. She wants to watch the comings and goings of her neighbors. And I think we all know someone like this in our lives. It's the busybody of the block who likes mm -hmm. to watch everyone. Um, yeah. Technically, she's just doing what Mrs. A in the first case was doing. She's sitting there by her yep. window, but her intention is very different. She's yep. tracking the movements of everyone in that block, and she's the busybody, yep. and she's yep. watching. She's watching. Yeah. Now we start to think, hold on, uh, Mrs. A uh, is doing something wrong. Um, Mrs. A perhaps is violating people's privacy. Now, here's the important thing, is that in your original case, there's a very important disanalogy because Mrs. A is not, she doesn't have that intuition, but the cameras, the mass surveillance has exactly that, not intuition, that intention. Intention, yeah, I understand. cameras yeah, yeah. have exactly right. that intention. Yeah, people, good, good. The people who set up those cameras are tracking you. They are trying to check where you're going and they will use that to prosecute you should you do something wrong. So. Yeah. It, it seems like there's a very important disanalogy between Mrs. A in your original case and the camera owners or the camera yeah. installers in the second case. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, one of the reasons I'm glad you asked that one is, again, I think this is one of the objections where I feel like Ryberg uh, responds too quickly. 
Uh, so Ryberg does, in his original article, address this. He puts it in terms of the language of motive, but I think motive intention, we, we can treat them as basically the same thing here. She's just looking because she wants to avoid being bored. The cameras are looking, or the observers of the cameras are looking because they're trying to catch crooks and so forth. Uh, and some critics want to say um, there's something objectionable about viewing everybody as a potential troublemaker, but there's nothing objectionable about viewing them as a source of entertainment or whatever. Okay. Ryberg just says this. He says... Um, what somebody's motive or intention is uh, might be relevant to judging their character, but it can't be relevant to whether their action uh, or their behavior is violating someone's right to privacy. So he just wants to draw this very sharp distinction. And part of me is sympathetic to that response. So I, I think that could work. But um, I really don't think he needs to make such a strong response. And so what I think I want to do is I want to tweak your example a little bit, actually first to try to strengthen the objection a little bit. Uh, and, and then I want to rein it back in and, and say how I think I would respond. Um, suppose we changed your example to uh, someone who's looking at other people uh, specifically like for sexual gratification, okay? Um, so it's not even just like they're busybodies, but like they're using the images that they get from seeing other people for their own sexual gratification. Um, I think a lot of people are going to have the reaction that even if she's just doing exactly the same thing that I described in the original case, that she's doing, so it's not that she has a bad character, but like she's doing something wrong and plausibly that it's a violation of the right to privacy. So that's a case that I think can make more plausible the thought that a mere difference in motive or intention can be relevant to whether the right to privacy is being violated. Um, another example, I, I won't get explicit here, but picture two cases where a doctor uh, has a patient undress and then they look very carefully at the entirety of the patient's body. And in one case, the intention has to do with looking for potentially dangerous moles and the other, it's for prurient purposes or whatever. Like that's another case where I, I think it's pretty plausible. I'm not sure I'd be willing to commit myself to this view, but I think it's pretty plausible that the mere difference in the intention or the motive is relevant specifically to whether like the patient's right to privacy is being violated. So I, I don't really think that Weiberg's response is going to be satisfactory unless there's really a good argument for that very sort of sharp line. Okay. But having said that, then what I want to say is, yeah, so I agree that's a difference between the original version of the Mrs. A case and um, the mass public surveillance case, but whether that particular motive, the motive involved in CCTV, whether that's enough to make for a privacy rights violation, even if the sexual gratification motive would be, uh, then I think we test that question in the same way. We change the Mrs. A case to make it more like the CCTV case with respect to her purpose, but you didn't do that either, right? You gave her a still different purpose of just wanting to look at people. Uh, um, so let's say, again, she's part of a neighborhood watch and there has been an uptick in people having packages stolen off their porch or cars stolen outside or people being mugged or whatever. And so since she's stuck kind of at home all day, anyhow, she keeps an eye on things. And if she sees trouble, she calls the cops or something like that. Uh, yeah. And so then I, I don't have the reaction in that case that it's plausible to think that change in motive. Uh, makes for a privacy rights violation. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, again, to go back to the body cam case. Um, okay, so the old-fashioned cop walking the beat, okay, I'm bracketing off the recording part right now, but the old-fashioned cop walking the beat, in effect, that person was a, a mobile humanoid CCTV camera. Like they're walking around, seeing what's going on in public, and if they're doing their job, their motivation also is to be trying to reduce crime and so forth. So if we thought that um, the version of Mrs. A where she's looking around in public to try to keep an eye out for crooks or whatever uh, was a privacy violation, then we'd have to say the same thing about cops walking the beat. Now, in the real world, there are all sorts of reasons to think, yeah, we shouldn't have so many cops walking the beat. Oh, that's fine. There could be all sorts of other reasons that's not a good practice. But with respect to the question of whether they violate the right to privacy of the people that they encounter when they're moving around in public spaces. Um, I would count on the reader or the viewer or whatever uh, to think that, no, that's not a plausible thought. So the three of us have a mutual friend, who I'll leave nameless, who has a rather strong preference never to be photographed. Um, so much mm -hmm. so that when people approach him for interviews on television um, or to have a photograph taken, I think he refuses. Um, or if photographs are taken of him, he asks for them to be deleted. And he's very successful yeah. on the front. There are 
uh, no photographs him that are available online. Um, so okay. methods person, you don't know what they look like. Um, and it seems like a mass surveillance state um, sets aside his interests in quite a serious way. Um, in other words, yeah. it's not possible yeah. for him to walk around the streets of London in the way that he can walk around the streets um, of Johannesburg um, because you're being watched and you're being recorded and this very strong preference you have is being set aside. Now, I want to branch into something else related to this, which is, one, how do we take into account individuals that have the strong preference? Two, does it matter whether they know that they're being surveilled? So let's say, for example, um, he assumes that you can walk around the streets of Johannesburg without being um, without being recorded. And unbeknownst to him, the city changes its policy and puts up cameras everywhere. Uh, is yeah. he wronged under those circumstances without knowing about it? Yeah, no, these are really good questions. Um, at the risk of sounding a little bit like a broken record, I, I again want to get back to the fairly sharp distinction between whether the right to privacy is being violated and whether, like all things considered, something wrong is happening and so forth. Um, so I guess I'm inclined to think that what you're describing is a case of someone who, um, because of kind of fairly extreme, and, and sorry, when I say extreme, I'm not, not in a judgmental, but outlier kind of uh, beliefs or attitudes, uh, is plausibly uh, quite significantly harmed by something that do doesn't actually harm most people or maybe minimally you know, harms most people, something like that. Um, um, with respect to the question of whether their right to privacy is being violated, um, I guess, again, I'm inclined to say the same sort of thing. Um, for example, if, um, so let's say this person, oh, I don't know, let's say it's a, a married person and their spouse is suspicious that they're cheating on them and hires the detective to follow them around uh, while they're in public spaces and document uh, where they went. Uh, yeah, I'm inclined to think that it, it doesn't violate this person's right to privacy for the private detective to, to do that and so forth. Um, it might still be the case that this is someone who's, uh, unlike most people, quite significantly harmed by a form of behavior that doesn't violate the right to privacy. Uh, and then I, I don't want to get into the details. If My own view is, even if they don't know about it, they are still being harmed. But I, I, whatever hedonists about well-being would deny that. But at least in the case where they know that they're being photographed and that's going to cause them a great deal of distress, then sure, like they're, they're being significantly harmed. Uh, I don't have too much to say about then what sort of the overall trade-offs would be. I think from a social point of view, if there are some social benefits to mass public surveillance, so let's say it does produce a modest reduction in assault and theft, and let's assume that this person you're referring to, he too will be a little bit safer uh, living in this uh, society. Um, then I think at that point, it, it probably will have to become some kind of utilitarian calculation. If there are tons of people who will just be very seriously unhappy uh, with being photographed, uh, then, um, then maybe all things considered, the harms uh, make this a bad policy. Uh, and then maybe, sorry, one other quick comment I'll make. Uh, I'm assuming this person doesn't object to being looked at when he's in public. He objects to being photographed, right? Um, mass CCTV-enabled mass public surveillance in and of itself doesn't require that recordings are made, right? Uh, I think almost certainly it's more effective when recordings are made because then you have evidence that can be presented at trial and so forth. But um, if it turned out that there were enough people that would be seriously enough harmed by the photo, the recordings, uh, that I think my, my all things considered view would be something like, still doesn't violate the right to privacy, but we've got this other moral reason not to make the recordings, but it's still not an argument against mass public surveillance, right? It's an argument against making these recordings. And then I guess a final sort of wrinkle, uh, but again, let's not worry about the particular actual individual you have in mind. There could be different versions of this person. Some people might be like, I don't really care if a recording is made of me when I'm moving around in public that is saved for a month just in case it ends up being useful in solving a crime and is then destroyed and never made public. I just don't want a recording of me made that ends up like on the web or something like that. Uh, if that's the kind of case, uh, then it would still be fine even to make the recordings. Obviously, as an empirical matter, there's going to be some risk that, you know, 
the recording will get out and so forth. But if we're talking philosophically about whether there'd be something wrong in principle about doing it, then there wouldn't even be anything wrong uh, in principle. Uh, on the other hand, if it's, um, I believe, I don't know the details, but I believe there have been in this country some religious expression cases where, for example, someone might have a religious-based objection to being photographed in, in, in this country, well, in many countries, you, you need like a government-issued photo ID picture. So you'd have to come up with some overall way of thinking through how to accommodate these outlier individuals. But I think just as nobody would think that's a reason to say that as a general matter, government shouldn't require photo IDs when you're getting on an airplane or something like that, uh, this kind of case wouldn't be a, a reason to think as a general matter there's something wrong with um, mass public surveillance that does include uh, recordings. Again, not recordings that are made public, but recordings that are held onto in case they're useful for you. Well, David, it's always wonderful having you on the show, and thank you so much for such a delightful conversation.